You're listening to Zeros on Heroes with Mike Mercadol. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Zeros on Heroes. My name is Mike Mercadol. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been coming out to our live shows at the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City, Queens, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Unsung Heroes. That's right. That's the name of the show. And uh, if you're listening to this, if you're subscribed to Zeros on Heroes, you're subscribed to that as well. And it's a it's an awesome, fun live show. I host uh, basically an impromptu talk show with all of the Creek denizens who hang out and uh, basically just randomly call guests onto the stage, some hilarious comedians, some Drunk randos and you, you are a hundred percent invited to come to be on Unsung Heroes. We're happy to have you. And then it gets released every Friday as a podcast, and you can listen to it here again. If you're subscribed to the so if you're subscribed to this, you're subscribed to that as well. Um, this is an episode of Zeros on Heroes continuing New York Comic Con coverage. I got a chance to sit down with. Uh, pretty much everybody from Batman the Animated Series. They're releasing their 25th anniversary on Blu-ray, and there's a really fun documentary involved. Uh, they, they went back and talked to everybody. They remastered all of the animation and the footage and the sound. It's, I am super pumped. I do not have a Blu-ray player. I this might this might turn the tide. This might get me into the 21st century technology of Blu-ray media that has been around for way too long. I. I really genuinely was kind of starstruck on this one. I got a chance to sit down with, let me, let me, let me just read the list. Bruce Tim, the guy, the man, Eric Radomski, producer for the, for uh, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Lauren Lister, the voice of Robin. Tara Strong, who's, you know, Tara Strong, voice of Batgirl and Barbara Gordon. And Diane Pershing, the voice of Poison Ivy. And the man himself, Kevin motherfucking Conroy Bat- my, my Batman he's my Batman and uh, the, the, when people ask me oh the, whenever anybody mentions the word Batman this is the first Batman I think of I don't think of any of the live actions I don't think of any of the movies or TV shows I think of Batman the animated series and I gotta be honest with you it, I got got I, this was another one uh, Doug Jones got me and then sure as hell everyone involved in this was such a huge part of my life it has been for for since it for 25 years since it came out um the first section of interview that you're gonna hear is gonna be with um bruce tim and uh, it was really interesting to see how uh, reflection like a creator reflects on his creation uh take a listen hello everyone hi hey bruce how are you guys doing good let me turn this on first. and lady sorry <laughs> So, were you involved in the remastering of these episodes? I was not. No? no. So when the first time you saw them, what was the reaction? Uh, I think they look great. Um, I have, I'm have. i dying to look, to, to actually give the, each one of them uh, a, a, a real good look through, because I've only seen just like clips, but um, I'm a little nervous, because it's like it's probably going to bring up a lot of the flaws that I, I see when I watch the show, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about it. How do you feel about bringing, after 25 years, bringing this to a new generation of Batman fans? Because this was like one of the most iconic Batman series of all time. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it seems like it's kind of really never completely gone away. There's, there's a whole group of people who grew up with the show and they're now grown-ups and they're introducing their kids to it right. and stuff. So um, I feel like there's it's kind of like just been kind of generational so far. So, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> 
I hear you. I'm from Latin America. This is going to be the first time that we are going to see the complete series. Oh. How do you feel doing that you are going to have a new followers? Well, I would hope I would. I, I, I would. I mean, I... Again, when I look at the show, all I see is the flaws. I, and I, I know that's, that sounds weird for people who grew up on the show. And they go, oh, no, it's wonderful. It's a masterpiece. But I look at it and I go, oh, there's, I wish I'd done that different. I wish I'd done that, that differently. Is there so, one specifically that comes to mind? No. No. I, I don't want to give you fuel for that. <laughs> but, um, but, and again, just um, when we did the show, this was like years before like Marvel did their movies or anything, and before the Harry Potter movies and stuff. So, I mean, so... Cinema and TV have gone so far beyond that I, I, I hope people look at these and still appreciate them for what they are. I hope they don't look old-fashioned or whatever. But I, I you know, have no power over that. So, um, but so I, I'm hoping that they'll, 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 they'll see them and love them. For those who are really serious, is there one episode they should, that you think would encapsulate what the whole series is about? You know, it's funny because my daughter, strangely enough, had never seen the show up until just recently. She's 22, and uh, so she said, "I want, I really want to, I want to see your, your Batman show." So. I figured, okay, I would, I would curate the show for her, and it was like, I would go through it and go, ah, oh, no, that's not a good one, that's not a good one, oh, that's a good one, but eh. So, um, I think, weirdly enough, and again, this is probably only my personal preference just because it was the very first episode that I worked on, but I still think Leather Wings is a really good show. I think it's a really good starter. It doesn't have doesn't have any of the, the big villains in it. It doesn't have the Joker, Poison Ivy, Two-Face, or anybody, but it kind of just sets the tone for the show, I think. It's kind of a good, you know, teaser so I think that's a good place to start, um, and it's it's tricky. Like the Joker is like the, the, the most popular character or the one of the popular most popular villain, but I don't think the Joker shows were all very good up until like we we, we took us a while to find our voice for the Joker. So I think like the first really good Joker show is probably Joker's Favor. So that's that's a good one. And of course, it's the first Harley show as well. So. so. So the uh, Batman the Animated Series is credited for being like a real dark show, that, like kind of changed the landscape uh, mm-hmm. from animation. Right. I, I, people are more willing to accept animation as a just a storytelling method as opposed to something for children. Yes and no. I think there's some of that, definitely. Um, also, I think uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum is uh, shows like you know The Simpsons, which was um, you know obviously a comedy show, but again, it was. It was that was a show for everybody, not just for kids. So I, I think um, it's something that the animation genre in America has always kind of struggled with. It's like for a long period of time, cartoons were basically just for kids. You know, it's like yeah, adults wouldn't be watching them. I think we still struggle with that a little bit. Um, it's certainly not at the level of like you know, like in Japan, where you know, literally everybody from you know kids to grandmas you know watch watch animation, but. Um, uh, I, I think it helped. I think it certainly helped. Um, it was, I think, the, one of the first successful adventure shows, adventure cartoons that... I mean, that was certainly what we aimed at. was like we wanted to make a show that, that kids can watch and appreciate and that their parents can sit there and watch it with them and not be bored and actually feel like, oh, yeah, we can get involved in this as well. So um, it certainly seemed like that kind of kind of hit that sweet spot. I don't want to go back and do anything. <laughs> you know, I just, I mean, people talk about that all the time. They say, oh, yeah, when are you going to go back and make some more of those? And it's just kind of like... That's kind of asking for trouble, you know, because it's like it, it's such a good thing of what it is that, you know, it's like I'm never going to get that same group of people back together again. And, you know, the, the writers and the artists and, and the actors and everything. In fact, 
unfortunately, a lot of the actors have actually already passed on since since then. So um, it's, it's it would be really hard to live up to. I think to the people's not just the show, but the people's memories of the show, which I think is even stronger. So it's like I, I would be very very reluctant to do that. Is there any special scene or section that you really like about what? About how it looks. Oh, oh. Um, the weird thing is, I haven't watched a lot of the episodes in a long time. So, um, like I said, when I, when I was just showing them to my, my daughter, we did start with On Leather Wings, and I was happily surprised that On Leather Wings still looks really good overall. There wasn't like a specific scene, but just overall, I thought it looked really good. Um, uh, and I, I, I won't pick on the ones that I thought didn't look so good because it's like, I'll leave that people, I'll be crushing somebody's memory. But because um, every every episode, I'm sure has somebody has, is their favorite show. But um, I, it's weird because I really like the original animated series a lot, and I like the revamp episodes that we did when we changed all the character designs. But they're definitely different. It's like the original ones look really dark, and like the atmosphere is thick. It feels like everything's like in a fog, kind of. Uh, whereas the, the the revamp episodes are a little bit cleaner. They're a little bit you know a little bit more precise, but I like them both. I like them both, both about equal. So. so that wasn't your question. But. When Harley was introduced, <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure you probably got this a lot. Did you think she was going to blow up into the character she is now? No, we had no idea. However, when we first saw the very first animated footage of her, uh, just in, in in raw animation form, without the soundtrack or without the um, the score and everything on it. Um, we kind of thought that we were onto something. I mean, the minute we saw her animated and with Arlene's voice, it was just kind of like, yeah. there's something there. So, yeah. Crazy. Well, you have to remember, back then, the show wasn't serialized at all. It was like every episode was a standalone. Unless a show was like a direct sequel to a previous episode, almost all of the episodes completely stood alone. So we never really gave it much thought. You know, we didn't really think about oh, we need to come up with a, a series finale. It's like we just didn't think of the show that way back then. Nowadays, all the shows are that way, you know? I mean, starting starting with Justice League for me, it was like we really we really leaned into making the show, you know, serialized, and we went out of our way to, you know, come up with, with, with uh, season finales and series finales. But on Batman, I don't even know what our last episode was. I don't know. You may be right, and that's a terrible way to leave the series. <laughs> All right, so cutting it yeah. off. Okay. Oh, thank well, thank you guys. Thanks, Thanks Bruce. I found uh, Bruce Timm's tone very interesting. I mean, I'm sure he thinks of uh, Batman the Animated Series fondly, but uh, considering the time when it came out and everything, the, the impact that it's had, I would imagine, like as a creative person, you you all you you know. It was his baby, you know, so he notices all the little things he wasn't allowed to do and and uh, things he he had to kind of put together on the fly and maybe would have done differently. But I assume if he went back and tried to think about all of the things like that, he would go crazy. That came up, actually, in this next segment with uh, Eric Radomski where he was a producer on the show and, and he talked a little bit more about the creation of the, the creation process that led them to actually put the show together. Here you go. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Very good. 
Were you involved with the remastering of the series? Uh, not o only in the documentary that was created. So the actual, any, any work that was done with it, I, I was not. So what was your reaction on for seeing it in HD? Um, I, I, again, I've said this in previous uh, uh, interviews, I, I can only see the flaws. It's like, you know, it's like your child, you know, you, you, it's polished up and it's cleaned up a little bit, but it's still full of, uh, you know, the things that I wish I had time for at the time to make changes to. But I, I think it's for the fans. I think they're going to love the quality and they're going to notice the quality. I will always only notice, you know, what could have been. <laughs> what we were not able to to tweak and adjust. And uh, it, it does give a little bit more resonance to what we originally intended because the limits of traditional animation at the time compared to digital uh, production these days, um, we were, you know, we were challenged with the specific art direction on the show uh, and the limitations of hand-drawn animation that uh, just basically made it a little bit more difficult for us to to really get to the core of what it was intended to be. But uh, all, all told, I think we're pretty satisfied with the, the way the overall production came out. As I understand it, you weren't really a big comic reader when you started developing the show. Mm -hmm. What drew you to the project? Well, uh, originally we were, uh, Bruce and I were working independent of each other as far as teams go on Tiny Toon Adventures, and that was the first series out of Warner Brothers Animation. I had joined Warner's a month after they opened, so I was uh, I was there along for the ride, uh, uh, only in the background department. Bruce was on the storyboard team on, on another crew, and uh, open development happened after on the tail of Tiny Toons because the studio decided they were going to grow, and they had probably five or six titles that they were throwing out to the entire studio for ideas, you know, unique takes, or things like the Griswolds and uh, Gremlins, and uh, they were going to try and reboot the original Looney Tunes with a, a new take, which ended up becoming Tasmania. Um, so there were there were several opportunities. Batman happened to be one of them. So I contributed to all of them. I did art direction on all five as development, and Batman just happened to be the one that they they liked uh, most of what I had to offer. Bruce had done a page of literally just a page of Batman character design and threw it in the mix and we, we knew each other from the studio but we had never worked together and they pulled us together and said this is uh, kind of a take that we think might work for this project that was my introduction into the world of Batman outside of Tim Burton's Batman prior to that Adam West's you know the, the campy show which I grew up on but I was never a big fan of I, I appreciated it but it was not my uh, it was not my calling at the time and only until I start working on the show did I really get exposed to the world of comics in general, let alone Batman specific. So it was a, it was a great uh, revelation to me and has become my career ever since. So. In terms of uh, animation, you have to kind of create the, the sound and music to, for the atmosphere. Is that, in the remaster, did you notice differences in the in the... This, the music is kind of iconic as well for, mm -hmm. for Batman the Animated Series. Did you... Did you um, also, in creating the show, was that... Uh, something that you thought would be as impactful for this for the storytelling? Yeah, absolutely. The, the Bruce and I went in with each episode. We treated as though it were a feature because it's a you know a three act drama. Uh, so uh, by nature of telling a you know dramatic stories compared to what most of us had been exposed to previous, let alone comics or, or action shows, most of animation is just kind of fun and goofy and. Uh, regardless if it even attempts to be adventurous and action-packed, but Batman just allowed us to be able to approach it with a very 
dramatic and cinematic kind of approach, not only for the look of it, but the sound had to equal the visuals. And uh, it was our desire. It certainly wasn't either of our experience to know that we could get that. And again, the benefit of the times, the benefit that Batman was a huge uh, franchise blossoming in the theatrical side of things, and Warner Brothers in general giving the support, we managed to have most of the series was scored with actual orchestra, which is unheard of these days because it's so expensive and uh, just doesn't seem necessary to most of the studios these days. That along with the sound mix where we, we actually still had sound designers that were willing to go out and create original effects instead of buying a package of sound effects. So we had certain effects throughout the show where we wanted a unique sound, uh, would explain sort of our best descriptions that we could to these sound designers and they'd go out and they'd build stuff and make stuff and uh, it, it added to the quality of the show. It sounded like there was a lot of kind of experimentation in coming up with this new thing sure. and you were just kind of like uh, improvising a little in what you thought would work out. Mm-hmm. What, what, what piece do you think came together out of just a sheer like, what if we did this? Is there anything in Um, Gosh. Um, well, for, for my own self, the you know, the approach to the design of, of Gotham and, and the dark sort of interpretation of it was something that didn't have place in animation prior to it. And by seeing the movie and being influenced by the movie, the night just seemed appropriate to start in, in, in darkness and bring light into it. So I did that just as sort of a take, never expecting that it would become, a, you know, a, a, certainly the style for the show. And quite honestly, I had no idea that it would work. It was just, it's like, this is the way I think that we could make this work. And as slowly as we evolved, it became more and more clear that it was the only way to achieve the look of the show. So that, for me personally, was something that was both an inspiration, but also a revelation that it actually did end up becoming a... a an appropriate way to to design the show. Last question. Um, my, my the near and dear is on leather wings. The first first episode, specifically because it was you know the culmination of everything we had conceived. Even the minute and a half piece was definitely true to the look of what we wanted. But this was an entire episode that had to be. Um, uh, consistent for 20 minutes. It had to be a dramatic story. It had to live up to the, you know, the sale that this looks really cool, but is it going to be compelling story-wise? And I, on Leather Wings embodied, I think, everything we wanted the show to be. So that one definitely uh, near and dear. Yeah. Could you imagine being the guy that created Warner Brothers animation? Like the entire style for a series of projects that would come that to this day, it still defines kind of superhero animation, especially in the DC universe uh, with Justice League and all the stuff that's followed. It's it's incredible to me that they were just doing a job. They were just working. Uh, it's it was insane uh, just to process kind of everything that happened. Uh, it was still reeling. And then and then then they brought in the voice actors. And it's amazing how quickly these voices spring back into your mind. You can hear the characters that they played just the second they opened their mouth. It was fascinating. Uh, first on the list was um, Lauren Lister, who played Robin. So, um, have you seen the episodes before the clips today? The new episodes, the uh, HD? Uh, oh, only the remastering part of it? No, only here. Yeah, yeah. So, and 
what do you what are you thinking when you're going to look at this show in a whole new way? It's it blows my mind. I mean, it is so beautiful, the color and the clarity. I mean, I, I I thought the original show was great, and now you see something, and now it's even greater. It doesn't really happen very often. It's even greater. I think I think they do a lot of um, remastering of things, and they put out the big hype about it and, and you're like eh, okay big deal you know you remastered it this is really big difference the Batman's always been a pretty iconic DC character did you think that this series would take off the way it has and then get to be brought to a brand new generation of fans no no I mean people come up to me at the comic cons who originally watched the show so they're 30-ish some of them are 40-ish there's Mola Marsh ladies and gentlemen one of my heroes um, so they might be in their 40s because they watched it when they were in college or if they were kids or teenagers now they're in their 30s and they bring their kids so it's like there's two generations of fans never thought that would happen honestly you never know that something like that is going to happen when you're doing no matter how good something is I mean sometimes you'll work so hard on a movie and you think oh this movie is so great and then they mess it up in editing or it's good for a little while and you get an audience and they forget about it you never think to yourself I think in 25 years I'm going to be sitting at the New York Comic Con and talking about this show <laughs> never were you aware of the the Batman and Robin, what was your extent of your knowledge of the characters before going into doing this show? Did it inform the choices you made for the voice acting? Very much. Uh, the only... I was not a comic book guy. I became a comic book guy after I, you know, actually was doing the show. Um, so my only frame of reference was the TV show. And so I started with Burt Ward in my head. Had to. His energy, his excitement, and then brought myself to it. Because that's what you do as an actor. Whatever the part is, you bring yourself to it. And the character as written was actually a lot like me, because at the time I was ambitious, felt like I wasn't being taken seriously, you know, all those things. So I brought all those things to, to the character and informed my performance. Series, the transition from Robin to Nightwing. It's definitely a, you could hear your voice change, a little angrier. Was that like lower, angrier, more brooding, more like Kevin? Because I thought to my, as I was creating that voice, I said, "Well, Nightwing eventually becomes Batman." I mean, in the in the comic book world, so he would want to emulate him as much as he's angry with him, and he says, "I'm not like you," and he punches him and knocks him down. And, tears off the mask and throws it down he still can't help it but want to emulate him so I took some of Kevin's voice and added it to what I was already doing and that became Nightwing slowed it down you know not so excitable more mature no well, the first first bit he heard of it or anybody was when I you know went in for the first reporting session and and uh, they, they actually hadn't heard. They didn't say, uh, you know, do, do your do your Nightwing voice before we bring you in. They just you know, brought me in like a regular recording session, and I did it. And they were like, that's it. You know. How was the direction from the uh, from the voice directors? Were they were they looking for something in particular? Or did they let you be the character? No, no, they let us be. Uh, the wonderful thing about Andrea Romano is that she gives us total artistic freedom and yet we know that if something isn't quite right 
if she points out where it's not quite right, we believe it. That she doesn't say she doesn't say all that much to alter what we're doing, but brings us like any good director. Best directors in the world don't say very much. Last year we returned to the voice Yes. It was like we were never apart. It was like we walked in and we were, I can't believe we're here again. It's so exciting. And Bruce, you know, the team was back, put the band back together, you know. And uh, it was like we had no time had passed. Looking back at the show from a distance, is there anything about the performance that you put out that you want to change if you could? Not at all. Not at all. I. I think in every possible way, the show is like perfect. I, I hear, um, you know, Bruce and Eric were talking today about, oh, they wish they could go back. If it, I mean, I don't, I don't see anything that, for me anyway. Oh, great. Did, was there any impro- improvisation at all? In zero. The yeah, there was straight no, from zero. the script. Straight from the script. And, and you really have to be. Um, <coughs> you have to be really precise. Because they're, you know, the voice comes first, and then they animate to the voice. So they have in mind what they want the animation to look like. So you've got to do the voice so they can animate it properly. Did you take part in the documentary? Yes. Was there anything that came up that you either didn't know about or that you forgot about? Well, first of all, I have to backtrack a little and tell you the funny part about documentaries. Uh, when they re-released Sub-Zero, they, they asked me some questions, interviewed me. And I thought it was going to be a documentary like this one, where everybody was going to be talking about the whole show. And then it turned out to be a documentary about me. It was like this 12-minute documentary. So why didn't you tell me? They didn't even tell me. So I had no idea how they were going to use this uh, latest interview stuff. And then I found out later, it's a 90-minute documentary about the whole history of the show. And I can't wait to see it. And on that note, <laughs> thank you. thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Didn't you just hear Robin immediately? Like you could picture it in your mind. All of the memories kind of came rushing back to me the second he started talking. It was fascinating how tied that voice is to, or any of the voices were to just the visual memory. It's, it's kind of incredible. And a surprise, Maurice LaMarche appearance. It was the voice of the brain. He was just kind of uh, milling around. Oh, he's a million voices, but he's he, he was just milling around. All the Warner Brothers people just kind of hanging out, having a good time. It's fascinating how fun the life of a voiceover actor is, like when you make it. <laughs> they seem to be having a great time. And uh, continuing with, with the interviews, next was Diane Pershing, who was the voice of Poison Ivy, just the nicest lady in the world. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. I am (laughs) Diane Pershing, who plays Poison Ivy on the Batman animated series, in case you didn't know. What does it feel like to know that by many fans you are the definitive Poison Ivy? Um, It's a joy. It's flattering. I love it. That's how it feels. It feels marvelous. Um, I don't have any ill will toward future the Poison Ivies that came after me. I don't know them. I don't even know how they sound, frankly. I haven't even really listened to the shows. I know that my time as Poison Ivy, which was almost about 10 years, um, was a joy, and I loved it, and obviously it's done, <laughs> you know? Unless they bring the show back and realize that they're really missing a great thing with me. And then I probably wouldn't say no. I understand it. Getting the role in the next 
a fluke. Absolute fluke. I was booked to do a couple of incidental voices for that first Poison Ivy show, which was called Pretty Poison. So I walked in, and apparently the actress, whom I don't know her name, and bless her heart, didn't show up, couldn't show up, was ill. I don't know the story. And Andrea Romano, our wonderful director, said, Diane, would you like to audition for this? I said, sure. She gave me the script. I looked at it. I got the voice immediately in my head. I just, you know, you hear a voice, and then you imitate that voice, and that's, that's the thing. And I, uh, I auditioned, and I got it. And that's the... Fl- I love... My life has been filled with moments when I've turned left instead of right, and something wonderful has happened. And that's another example of that. Yeah? Now, the voice acting... The voice acting on the show was very different at the time for not being cartoony. Right. The voices were just real actors acting in, in a drama, almost like a radio, the, the, the traditional totally. radio dramas. Was that a direction given to you, or did you just come naturally with the no, voice? No, they said, we don't want cartoon voices. Okay. We, want, we want real people. And also, they got, most of us were theater trained, so we, are all, we were all actors. Uh, we call ourselves actors. Oh, thank you. Um, and the way the show was recorded, which was in a circle, semicircle, so that you could look at each other, you could actually have reactions, you could have, and you know, that stuff shows up in the voice track. The, the little moment when you do that, even though you're just doing that in the booth, you just, it informs the way you say your next line. And that kind of thing is a luxury today because of schedules and so on and so forth. But back then, ooh, who wants to open this for me? Thank you so much. Um, I need a man to open it. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. No, Wonderful. thank you. No, uh, it's fabulous. So even, even following up on that, uh, where you're sitting across from them, um, yeah. like the Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn like road trip episode and, and all of them, it's, it's so iconic and such. How much fun was it to, to sit there and actually... Bounce the lines with, off with each a, other. With Arlene? Yes, with Arlene, yeah. A joy. She's a, a brilliant, wonderful, trained comic actress. And in fact, we're very good friends. Uh, we met on the show, but we didn't become friends until a few years ago for some reason. I called her up about something and she said, You know, we ought to get together. So I did, <laughs> and we got together. Um, and she she was a joy. And I think I think, again, they wrote wonderful scripts for us. And our characters were so defined. They were markedly different. Really different. I mean, she was the original abused woman. Let's face it, even though she's evil, she really was. And, excuse me, Ivy? Not even close. Don't even think about it. So, it was a, it was a good contrast. You stuck yeah. in a little uh, imitation. A little imitation. Well, Did it's you get- very, you know, it's very hard not to do her voice because she talks something. It's just... <laughs> Did you find yourselves imitating each other? In the, no? No, no. No, just whenever I talk about her, I use her voice. I do that with a lot of people. I use, I'm use. i quoting someone, I use their voice, you know, because it comes to me. You yeah. took part in the documentary for the DVD set. I'm not on that, I don't think. You told us you were. I don't remember being interviewed. I guess I should find out. <laughs> well, I hope I am. Let's if you were question. in the documentary, how would you... <laughs> that weird I literally don't remember doing it but I also don't remember many things in my 
career because there's been so many jobs and so many different things and so many interviews. I'm not trying to be um, cavalier about it. It's just that not everything sticks to the memory. You know what I mean? I have to ask them, am I really in there? <laughs> so, why do you... If, if, you if skip I were. <laughs> yes. What is the memory that sticks out most to you about making the show? Um... Mark Hamill on my right, Ephraim Symbolist Jr. on my left, Paul Williams down there, Kevin over there, and whatever guest shot is that week, me going, look at this life I have. I get to, these iconic actors, I get to be here with them. I felt so honored. That's the memory. The actual recording is the memory. Well, of course it is, because that's the only part I played with. You know, it was wonderful seeing it later on when it was shown. And I went, oh, that's really good. But, again, the experience, that was what I remember most. And then, once in a while, a really great script with a really great part for me. You know, of course, actors. Home and Garden, where she creates a husband and children for herself and um, and you believe it or even Batman believes it for a while and she wants it to be real so this was the real inside person I loved that show until it of course turns out that I'm sorry they're all pods apparently I'm done <laughs> lovely meeting you all. thank you what a flashback I had when she mentioned that episode of Poison Ivy with with her fake family and the whole pod people thing and her fam uh, Batman being confused. I immediately knew what she was talking about. It was fascinating the rush of nostalgia that was happening uh, while I was getting these interviews, and it it made me. I go back, want to go back to the show. I, I watch it pretty regularly. It holds up amazingly well. I can only imagine the Blu-ray is going to look amazing, and the documentary is going to be for sure something I'm checking out. So uh, I was this this was a great day for me so far. It got even better. I got to talk to Tara Strong, who is the voice of Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Spoiler alert: they're the same. They do. That's who. Batgirl is. Um, but she also got to play Harley Quinn later on in other uh, productions, other stuff that, that came out. Um, and it was uh, interesting to hear her talk about that balance. Hey, so, let's take a listen. Great. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. So, I want to start this one if I can. Okay. <laughs> uh, you played Batgirl on the regular animated, the original animated series, and then you went on to Harley, which is one of my favorite characters. My niece absolutely loves her. I love she's doing voice. Um, what was it like? What's it like to play, to go from one iconic character to another? One day I put on my Twitter a picture of Harley and Batgirl, and I said, and you think you have an identity crisis? <laughs> um, and they're both so meaningful to me and so fun and they're both such extraordinary strong female characters that I feel the levity of that I feel how important it is to be these legacy DC characters and if you ask me to pick a favorite I couldn't because Batgirl takes me back to this nostalgic magical time where I'm sitting between Conroy and Hamill like pinching myself (laughs) and um, the show is beautiful it holds up with the digital remaster it's even more beautiful and I love that film noir look to it 
And then at that time, I would watch Arlene and think, oh my God, she's the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. And I loved her voice so much. And then when they asked me to do the game, they said they wanted something different. I was terrified because... I recognize that people fall in love with, with their favorite voice actors, just like on my shows. And so they just wanted more highs and lows and craziness. And I said, well, I hope people like what I've done. And thankfully, the fans seem to like it. Um, and doing Harley is like therapy for me. Like, I just get to go in and scream and be crazy. And <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. I, I just, I'm, I feel very lucky to have been able to play both. There's one episode that you think encapsulates the show for you. What do you think it is? Well, my favorite episode is Girls Night Out. Um, and I think it's just as beautiful um, episode of women empowerment, but also the humanity of it. You know, we're running around saving the day, but then there's a scene where we have towels on our heads and we're giggling about boys or whatever it is. And I think um, it's so important to give young girls these strong female role models. And for me, that episode really, really did that. Huntress. I really love the Birds of Prey. I just the original song I think didn't make it to American television. It was a lot of phallic references, um, but you can see it on YouTube and it's pretty great. I highly recommend googling animated Birds of Prey with Tara Strong, Grey Delisle, Nika Futterman. It's just a beautiful little piece of animation. <laughs> you seem to have really dived into the kind of culture of your characters that you play. Were you aware of the DC characters before you got the voice, or is that something you learned after doing the, the I characters? I was a big DC fan as a kid. My dad had a World War II museum, and he had the first edition of every comic, so I would read all of them. And then my sister was a big Wonder Woman collector, so I wanted my own thing. And very young, we would go to antique markets and different places, and I would search out Batgirl. So I was already a Batgirl fan to, A, be different from my sister, but I also really love the Batgirl iteration, the Batman iterations, as dark as they can be. Like, that's my favorite. I think there's room for all the other stuff, but the real dark, sort of deeper place places that this series went was really special to me, and I love diving into that, especially being a fan. Was there an element of that darkness that changes when you do Harley? Because it's more, you know, the voice, we've been talking to uh, the actors where they were told not to do cartoony voices, Uh but Harley's kind of an eccentric, out there character. Yeah. Where's that balance? Uh, Does it like... Well, I think she's she's eccentric, but she's also pretty dark. I mean, the stuff that she puts up with is pretty intense. I do love now her growth is that she is her own power. And she doesn't just, you know, back down to Joker. She has come into her own strength as, as a woman. And I think people find themselves in her a lot, where she can be really strong and kick-ass, but then she can do really dumb shit for a guy. Like, that's Harley, and I think that's what's endearing about her, is that human side to her. But I still think even though she gets crazy and over-the-top, it's all from a pretty dark source. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's so interesting to play her because of those intricacies. Did you take part in the documentary on the board? Yeah. Did any memory pop up that you didn't you forgot about or maybe something you didn't know about came up during the piece of it? I'm trying to remember. Not not really. I think it's pretty much a lot of the stuff that I talk about at cons. Um, I can't remember everything, but it was really well produced. I'm excited to see it. I mean they got everybody on it, you know. 
What do you want? I need you. And I want you. And I love you. I know. I told him I was going to look really hot today. <laughs> what a liar. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, sir. Yes, for the record, Tara Strong, very attractive. Uh, I couldn't get over the... uh, She was the second person to mention Mark Hamill, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention how much... I would have lost my shit if Mark Hamill would have been there. I don't know if I would have been able to maintain composure. Uh, that is probably the most starstruck I could be. I'm struggling to think of a of a bigger like hero of mine. Tom Hanks. Between Mark Hamill, Tom Hanks. Between those two, I would be uh, unable to get a word out. I would I, I would drop to the floor, pass out. Who knows. Uh, but c- could you imagine doing these voices for Mark? It's, ama- it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, coming up next, this was a huge deal for me. I got to talk to Kevin Conroy himself, my Batman, and I decided I was going to ask him a different question. I have a, a friend of mine here in New York City, a very funny comedian, Selena Kopek. I want to get her on uh, the interview show. Uh, she's very funny. She's related to him. She's related to Kevin Conroy, and she told me that at one point, while Kevin was at Juilliard, he lived with Robin Williams. I decided I'd ask him about it, and it took a very different turn than I was expecting, and it was so surreal and very a very real moment, and I can't thank Kevin enough for sharing it with me and us at the rest of the table. It was, it was uh, an incredible story. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Hi guys. Hey, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Lady. How are you? How you doing? Very good. Very good. How are you doing? Good. Ah. Was this the first time you saw the episodes in HD? Like yes. Yes. Boy, the colors are so rich. It's amazing. Uh, it's like having a filter removed or something. It's just incredible. So um, when you. Uh, know somebody's going to, this is going to be the first time somebody's going to see these episodes. There's audiences that are just going to discover the show. What's the episode you think that encapsulates the show the best? Encapsulates the show the best? I think the, the, mm, I think the movie of, um, Mask of the Phantasm. Yes. Because it's the, the whole origin story of Batman, you get it in there. And he falls in love and he, he questions his vow to his parents. I mean, you get the whole history of Batman in that one movie. So that that would be the most, um, I think, perceptive one about the origins for someone coming to it for the first time. The episodes, all the episodes are beautifully written. Um, Perchance to Dream, I love. Um, this Little Piggy. I mean, there's so many. I like that one because I get to sing. <laughs> now, uh, Kevin, uh, I'm uh, going to ask a little off-topic question. I'm a comedian masquerading as a journalist right now. And I know Selena Kopic, who is a... a oh, fa- no! Yeah. And she uh, told me some information that you... This is two of my heroes kind of clashing, uh, where you used to room with Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit? Is that that's is that something you're willing to talk about, or is that something? Uh... No, it's fine. Robin, uh, we were both at Juilliard, yeah, and we were classmates, and we lived together for two years. But you know, I was 17. I was really young. I was on my own. I got a full scholarship. Um, Robin was 22, 
He'd already been through college. 17 to 22 was almost like a different generation. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a big enough gap. He was having tortured, complicated relationships with women, and I was popping pimples in the bathroom. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, we were at such different stages in our life. But I was 6'2 and had a deep voice, so no one knew I was 17. Or no one treated me like a 17-year-old. To be honest, I think I was a little over my head when I was at Juilliard. I was probably too young to be doing what I was doing. But my family kind of fell apart. I, I had to live on my own. I was supporting myself. I didn't have much choice, so I got a scholarship and I, I, I got out in the world, you know, and started doing it. Um, Robin was a very complicated guy. His his comedy. There was a lot of. There was a lot of darkness under the comedy. But that's true of all comics. Sure. But with Robin, it was about an inch beneath the surface. I mean, it was right beneath the surface. Um, he had a heart of gold. And that heart got very easily broken. Um, he was always getting in complicated relationships with women. Um, he was... There was one night I was just holding him. He was having this meltdown. And he was having, like... He was just falling apart. And he he couldn't... He, it's almost like he didn't know how to expose himself emotionally. The thing about Robin is everything you saw, that improvisational performance where you go from A to B to Z to D to E to F to G, one character, another character, another character. What, every one of those characters was, was intricately rehearsed. He didn't create them on the spot. His brain was like a computer. And I'd hear him at night in his room practicing characters. And he would have all those characters categorized. And what would happen on stage in the improv was plugging this circuit into that circuit into that circuit into that circuit but he wasn't creating the characters on the spot and so there was a a almost a a computer aspect to Robin's brain and when he would be challenged by emotions it was hard for him to allow himself to be human and just you know what I mean I'm sorry, I monopolized the, the time. Sorry. Any yeah, other no, questions? I didn't mean Any to bring questions? it all done. I apologize, but thank you so much for sure, answering sure. that question. Thank you. Help me, sir. Sure, sorry. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Last year, you helped me out with my children. You remember, thank you. Great. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Sure. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to. That was deep. That was dark. Wow. I, I, I didn't expect it to go that. I thought it was going to be a lighthearted Robin Williams story. Oof, nobody's getting that story. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I can guarantee you that nobody else got an answer to that question at any of the other tables. What a, what a kind man to have shared that story and it was a, a very kind of touching moment you could see on his face he was remembering a friend fondly and it was it was uh, very generous of him to share that with with us at the table and man what 
what an experience. I didn't ask him any Batman questions at all. And if I had, I could, I could have listened to that guy tell, uh, tell stories forever. I, I dream of the day that I could just sit down and have an interview with him. And if he's listening to this, I, uh, please, uh, Mr. Conroy, I would love to sit down and, uh, and have you on a, a full episode of, Zeros on Heroes, where we could talk about your hero. I want. I'm curious as to who his hero is, and um, and I would love to to. He's he's a high on the list. Him, Tom Hanks, Mark Hamill, uh, any one of these guys. If you're listening and you want to be on Zeros on Heroes, shoot me a message at Mike Mercadol on all social media. I will answer. I will answer you guys. Um, what more can I say? Batman the Animated Series is my one. It might be my favorite piece of media movie tv music anything it's so high on the list of things that i love that i cannot wait to see the upgrade uh, the blu-ray uh, remastering is, is supposed to look incredible sound incredible and i really can't wait to see that documentary that is going to be released with it um thank you all for listening you can like share and subscribe uh at Zeros on Heroes, Zeros on Heroes on all social media. Write us a review on iTunes. You know what? Ask me a question on iTunes. I'll answer it. We'll cover it on the show. If you want to come to Unsung Heroes, come to the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City, Queens. Every Thursday at 8 p.m. You can be on this very podcast. Um, We got some more New York Comic Con coverage coming up and uh, I guarantee you it's going to be to your liking. We still got Supermansion with Brian Cranston. A really cool movie called Prospect about uh, terraform and space mining it's it it was really really cool got to speak to the uh crew the directors on that one and uh stay tuned we got a lot of cool stuff coming up guys thank you so much for listening you can follow me at mike Mercadol. remember to go out and be heroic